Good morning. My name is Jerome, that's right, some of you know, um, and if you're new, um, I'm the Associate Minister here at St Mark's. If you asked me uh, whether I enjoyed high school, well, uh, sort of. Um, I enjoyed the relationships, the friendships, I enjoyed socialising, I enjoyed the community. I had some good relationships with um, most of my teachers. Um, uh, uh, with some of the other teachers, I might have straddled a fine line. And particularly with those teachers with whom I might have been straddling a fine line, I learnt that a smirk can get you into a lot of trouble. Now, I'd like, to th I'd like us to think about a smirk in a positive way. And so uh, there are all sorts of smirks, and I don't want you to think about the wrong ones, I want you to think about the right ones. And so not a flirty or seductive smirk, not a conceited or vain smirk, so not someone full of themselves kind of smirk. Not a sinister smirk, but, um, but a smirk that's um, it's born of a gentle, quiet, confident joy. It, it's the kind of smirk that um, when you know something wonderful that others might not know, but you'd be happy to share with them, and in fact... Um, sharing this news with them would probably complete your joy. And, and if we took hold of that idea, that smirk, a smirk that's a quiet, gentle, confident joy, a, a smirk that says, I know something wonderful, then Christians should be smirking all the time. And as Christmas approaches, we know something wonderful. We know something wonderful. We are continuing our series on the Psalms, which are also linking in well with our Advent themes, and uh, this morning we are looking at joy. And so in Psalm 147, the exhortation to praise the Lord, when in that exhortation and in this Psalm, I hear themes of praise, of celebration and joy. Praise may begin as an act of obedience but it doesn't end there. Our praise may begin as an act of obedience, but it doesn't end there. You might have got here just with, you know, took everything you had just to get here, and that might have been your obedience, but our praise doesn't end there. In fact, when we listen carefully to many psalms, ones such as Psalm 147, we hear that God calls forth praise that finds its joy, delight, pleasure and satisfaction in him. That our praise finds its joy, delight, pleasure and satisfaction in him. Joy is central to the abundant Christian life that we've been called to. When I was ordained as a priest, the archbishop exhorts us, and one of the things he exhorts us to is to take up our calling with joy and dedication. Not just with dedication, not simply that we'd be dedicated ministers, but that we'd be ministers that had joy in our hearts. The day that I lose my joy is the day that I do need to step down and figure out what's going on. Because how do you proclaim the gospel without joy? How is it good news if there's no joy? I'd like to look at a couple of ideas in relation to praise and joy by looking at Psalm 147. Firstly, 
praise, praising God with feeling. Listen to the... um, Listen to the exhortations in the psalm. I'm just pulling out the exhortations. All the other verses in between give you reason uh, to praise, but here's the exhortations. Verse 1, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. I think I've lost connection. Gary, you might have to help me out. Um, verse 12, extol the Lord Jerusalem. Uh, extol the Lord Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. And verse 20b, praise the Lord. To respond to these exhortations would be obedience. If, if we were to praise God, in response to these encouragements, these strong encouragements, that would be obedience. But more than obedience is being asked of us. How do you sing without your emotion and your feeling? How do you praise God with grateful praise without your emotions and feelings engaged? Now, some people feel nervous about the place of emotions and feelings in worship, and understandably so, for good reasons. Feeling good can be addictive. Um, There's a whole lot of things that can make us feel good. And when we get addicted to that feeling, and particularly in, in in the place of worship or in churches, sometimes when we're there to feel good, and it's all about feeling good, then it's no longer about God. At that point, we are worshipping ourselves. We're looking to feel a certain way. Um, There was um, a time in my life where I purposely switched off. I I told myself it was a dark period in my life. And so going to church, sometimes I'd meet friends. It was great. And and then sometimes the music um, uh, also made me feel particular ways. And maybe the message was inspiring. But I decided I was sick of the roller coaster. That, that I feel good, and then I'm going to come down. So I, I learned to switch off and stop engaging in my, oh, using my emotions. I was like, I'm not going to let that move me. And, and it might not be to that extent, but in different ways, sometimes we temper our feelings. We don't know what to do with them. Like, should, should we just let loose? How much can I dance? I was dancing a little bit the other day, and I hurt my back. Um, so that was obviously too much. But, but how far would we go? When, when is it that I would restrain myself for the sake of my brothers and sisters? And when, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of God, should I let go? Not, not, not necessarily simple answers, but, but questions to be asked. I sometimes wonder how much we restrain some of our emotions, some of our expression. And what are the reasons for that? Let's take seriously for a moment, um, uh, next slide, sorry Gary, I lost connection and I'm not going to probably get it back. Um, Thank you, yes, verse 1, praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. So, so, So why is it good? How good it is to sing praises to our God, I think the second part explains it for us, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. So it's good because it's fitting. 
It's good because it's right and fitting to praise God. That's why it's good, but it's also pleasant for us. So it's good because it's pleasant and fitting to praise him. I think feeling good or rejoicing in God is a necessity to true and authentic worship. Feeling good or rejoicing in God is a necessity to true and authentic worship. I know that's a bold statement. Let me see if I can back that up. For instance, I come home and um, I'm married to Vivian. I come home with these beautiful flowers and I say to Vivian, I can't remember the last time I bought you flowers and, um, and I, I guess uh, as a husband I have a duty to express and show my gratitude for who you are and, and I found these on the ground and I didn't want them to go to waste. <laughs> It's quite dutiful of me, but something's missing. I mean, her eyes and her face might have lit up at the start, but, but, but there's, there's, no, there's no desire, there's no, there's no um, sense of delight or valuing that's expressed. My duty's done. How does God want us to worship with all that we are and all that we have. I, or we, the church, cannot be accused of not recognising the reality of pain and struggle and suffering. We have preached through Job and we've preached through Jeremiah. We understand that lament is also an authentic expression of worship. We understanding, understand that suffering is real but I'm going to stand by. I think feeling good or rejoicing in God is a necessity to true and authentic worship. Uh, Let's think of it this way. So at the height of joy, or if there was a scale, maybe joy might be rejoicing and laughter and celebration, pleasure and delight. But maybe at the other end of the scale, maybe at the inception or beginning of joy, it's, it's, it's more a gentle, quiet, confident kind of joy. It, it's like the beginning of daring to believe something good. Maybe that's all that it is. That in the midst of deep suffering, you dare to believe something good. God didn't stop this. He didn't take this suffering away. But I believe God's here. I believe he loves me. When you dare to believe something right and true about God, it will affect your emotions. You may not break out into laughter. You may not be dancing for joy. But there will be a shift. You cannot be in the presence of God and not be moved. I think it's why I like a smirk. Because um, it's, it's not a full-blown laugh or a smile. It, it's just a, just a little, you know, just starting off. You, you know something. And I don't judge people that don't smile too much because you, do, you never know what's going on in people's life. I've learned not to judge. But can I challenge you? Can I challenge you, Christians? Can I challenge you, church? To consider the next step the next step to smiling. What, what, what is the next step? It may be that you start at a certain point and you come to know the good news of Jesus Christ and there may be much healing 
that needs to take place, but you're always looking towards that point where God's destiny for you is eternal joy. So that's praising with feeling. Um, I think I'm back in, Gary. Uh, (laughs) Maybe not. Yes, I am. Our assurance in God grows our joy. Uh, What do I mean by that? I, I mean our joy grows and flourishes from our assurance in who God is to us. That that when we are assured, so it's like I might have an idea of who God is, but when I'm assured of it, maybe an experience, maybe somebody else comes along and says, yes, I believe that too. That's something of what we're doing as church. We gather together and sometimes I'm lifted up by the confessions and declarations and the praises of God's people. And, and so in that assurance, my joy grows. I think today God wants you to look into his face. What do you see? When you look into God's face, what do you see? Um, In this psalm, I I see that in verse 3, this God is a God that heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. In verse 4, he determines the number of stars, calls them each by name. If you get that picture, he determines the number of stars. The moment you think about that, you're thinking of an infinite, almighty God, but then he calls each by name. You get this sense that this God knows each of us by name. And in verse 6, the Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. God particularly has an eye out for the humble. This idea is um, continued in verses 10 and 11. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. The humble, those who fear him, are those who have a true understanding of their position before God. What might that position look like? Well, I don't know, maybe maybe it's like a criminal living in the land of a king and living as though there is no king. And now this criminal's crimes are worthy of death. And yet from that very position of knowing their predicament, They put their hope in the king's unfailing love. That is humility. That's an acknowledgement of where you're at, but a trust not in anything of yourself, but in the unfailing love of the king. And so it's the humble that are in the best position to see God, to see his face. More specifically, um, the second half of the psalm speaks of God's self-revelation to his people, It starts talking about Jacob and Israel. And it's God's people that are in a position to see, as it were, his face. We, the church, are in a particular position to see and behold his face. Andrew preached on Psalm 27 some weeks ago, and in that it says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. What do we see when we seek his face? The psalm ends with, He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. 
God's revealed word is about self-revelation. When God speaks, his laws and decrees are speaking who he is. We're getting a picture of who he is. We're getting to look into his face. And ultimately, God's word came to represent salvation in a dramatic way in the birth of a child. God's word came to represent salvation in a dramatic way in the birth of a child. John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It goes on to say, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so when I ask the question, what do you see when you see God's face? Jesus said, if, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We can look at Jesus and we can see God's face. There was a devout and righteous man named Simeon and he was waiting for the salvation of God's people. And when Mary and Joseph brought their child into the temple, when they brought Jesus into the temple, Simeon took him in his arms and he looked at him and he believed that he saw God's salvation. He was ready to die at that point. He had seen God's salvation. And what is salvation? It's not just living forever. It's enjoying God forever. Eternal joy in God's presence. Last week, Andrew was talking about um, how in the Old Testament they were uh, not, they didn't really have developed ideas about life after death, but they started to. They started to wonder that if there is this God of love, then, then maybe death is not the end. And you start to see it in some of their thinking. And, and in Psalm 16, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. You, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We are supposed to sing God's praises because of the joy and delight we have in him. But what do we do when we don't feel that joy and delight? Where is the source of that joy and delight? Where can we find it? Well, I think we find our joy and delight in God our Father's joy and delight in us. Let me say that another way. You may have heard of 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. Let me put it another way. We rejoice and delight in God because he rejoiced and delighted in us first. We rejoice and delight in God because he rejoiced and delighted in us first. When we see the Father's face and we see his delight, this week when I lost it a couple of times with the boys, um, I, I wondered what do they see? And I pray that God would continue to transform me so they would see God's joy and delight in and through me. But I mostly pray that they'll see their perfect heavenly Father's face and his joy and delight of them. God rejoices There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's not just the angels, it's heaven, it's God. God rejoices and delights in all who turn to him. 
All who turn to Jesus are sons and daughters of the living God, new creations made for his eternal delight. So what do we children see in God our Father's face? Could I suggest that maybe it's his smile? Maybe a smirk sometimes? Because when he looks at us, he sees something we don't. He sees clearly our eternal joy in him and and in that moment we're singing his praises and this gives him great delight. So he looks at us and he clearly sees our eternal joy in him. He sees it already. He knows where we're heading. He knows where his children are heading and he sees our eternal joy in him and he sees us singing his praises and this delights him. So when he's looking at us, he's smiling at us. Could you imagine this roof opening up and we're looking up at the face of God and all of God's people at the same time are looking at the face of their father. And the same way that the father is looking at you individually, that's the same way he's looking at your brothers and sisters beside you. And that might change the way you look at your brothers and sisters beside you. I want to finish with um, um, a a story from um, Luke's Gospel. Um, And um, uh, all the Gospels tell of the two criminals crucified um, with Jesus. Only Luke's Gospel tells of one of those criminals repenting. Now, I've done something. I I don't know. Um, I trust I'm not going to be struck down with lightning. I've kind of done my own translation a little bit. Yeah, um, I think Revelation says something about not doing that. But um, I think God knows the uh, intent of my heart. And just in case anyone thinks it's a little bit irreverent, it's in red. You can just imagine it's not there. And if it's too hard, just close your eyes, la, 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 and you won't hear it. Um, but, um, uh, But here it is, just my little additions. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus smirked and then answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then a smirk slowly began to form on the criminal's face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, seeing your Son makes us rejoice in our salvation. As we look forward to Christmas, may we see afresh the delight in your face over all your children that we may be filled with joy and praise of you. Hallelujah. Amen.